Hello, and welcome to this podcast episode featuring Yamaha saxophone artist Robert Kyle. Robert is a native of Los Angeles who spends his time performing with groups and artists such as the Hi-Fi Quintet, Linda Hopkins, Betty Bryant, and his own Brazilian trio, Braziliando. Please join Yamaha marketing manager for Winds, Kurt Witt, as he sits down with Robert to find out more about his musical and fast-paced life while on a visit to the Yamaha Corporation of America headquarters in Buena Park, California. Our podcast interview today with Los Angeles-based saxophonist Robert Kyle. And actually, we're recording this in a new location here deep inside the bowels of the, the Yamaha <laughs> campus in Buena Park. Welcome, Robert. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for taking the time to drive down here. Based as a saxophonist in Los Angeles, must be a pretty interesting lifestyle. It sure is. It's a big melting pot, uh, not only in the communities and the people that you meet, but certainly with all the styles and types of music you encounter. And that's one of the things I love about it. On your website, some of the groups you play with locally, you've listed like eight or ten different bands. And then looking at your performance schedule, you've got a whole bunch of different things going on, different styles, different groups, different places. How in the world do you balance all of these groups and styles along with driving in the L.A. traffic? The traffic is the, the most difficult part, really. Um, the playing music in different styles, it's... Uh, it's actually one of the really fun things about it. You know, if you were playing country western every night of the week, you might get a little tired. I might get a little tired. Some people love that. But I might play, you know, rock and roll tonight and straight ahead jazz tomorrow, Brazilian the following day, and uh, Afro-Cuban that, uh, that next morning. And that's what makes it interesting. It's just like, it's all music. It's just different dialects, you know. It's all music, and you just, uh, I, as a musician, one of the fun things is just, try to find my little corner of the music and you've got to kind of be a chameleon and really have big ears and see how do I fit into this picture today which might be totally different from how you fit in the picture yesterday. You might have to take a more commanding role in this scenario. In another scenario you might have to lay back and listen a lot more and if you're working with a singer you play much differently than if you're you know fronting a big powerful horn section. It's just a lot of uh, a lot of paying attention and listening and kind of responding to the moment and the situation. It's fun. It's challenging, but it's fun. You talked about some of the different groups you play with, uh, some Latin, Brazilian. I, I know a lot of your recent recordings have been um, based in that style and that genre. How did you sort of move yourself to doing a lot of projects like that? Because that's very specific stylistic playing, very different perhaps than jazz or rock. Right. Um, I think I was originally drawn to it because uh, drums was actually my first instrument. I was a drummer before I was ever a woodwind player, and I was a pretty serious drummer. So I've always been intrigued by um, types of music that have very interesting um, rhythmic elements, and, and for sure jazz does, but even more so Afro-Cuban music or Brazilian music. All the stuff with African roots has really interesting uh, rhythmic textures. So that's how I got interested in it. And uh, I think Stan Getz was my introduction to Brazilian music, and from there it just kind of flourished out of that. Um, Afro-Cuban just sort of followed uh, as soon as I discovered what cool rhythmic things were going on. Your sound on the saxophone 
tenor really blends well with that style of music, doesn't it? I find it's a, a really nice environment for it, yeah. Did, did your sound, this very, I'd like to say recognizable, because I've been listening a lot to it and it's, you know, I hear it very clearly, this, this very sound that seems to be your voice, did that develop as a result of playing Latin music because it blends very well with that, or did the Latin music, was that seen as somewhere where your sound fits really well? I think it was all an evolution, you know, finding my voice as uh, I'm playing in different genres, but still kind of having my voice. I, it's all like I mentioned earlier. It's a different dialect. If I'm playing a saxophone and a, a soft bossa nova, it's, I would play differently than I would play a loud salsa solo, but still trying to find the right sound that's a pleasing sound and trying to find the right musical thing that fits whatever situation it might be. Would you say first and foremost you're a jazz saxophonist, a Latin saxophonist, a rock saxophonist, or just a saxophonist? I'm just a saxophonist. Yeah, I'm just a saxophonist. I, I love playing all those styles and the, you know, there are different elements of my saxophone personality that come out in each. Some of them cross over for sure, but but I would just approach it differently. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't approach something very soft and slow in Brazilian the same way that I would a rock and roll solo. It's a, it's a different texture, so I'd use a different uh, palette to paint from. Your website lists a pretty impressive list of people you've performed with, uh, from great names like Stevie Wonder, Shaka Khan, Michael Bolton, to uh, some of today's contemporary singers like Jessica Simpson. I bet you've got some great stories from some of those people. Um, <laughs> Yes, some interesting stories. Jessica Simpson, she didn't she didn't have a lot to say most of the time to the band. Actually, her husband at the time, Nick, was a lot more uh, interested in hanging out with the band. He seems like he'd be one of the guys. Yeah, he's definitely one of the guys. He was cool, and she was cool too. She just didn't have a lot to say. Yeah, the uh, touring or you know performing with some of those names, do you, do you find that they're really just normal people? or they're truly kind of different and very distant and very separated? Uh, some are and some aren't. Stevie Wonder is everything you would expect from hearing his music, just sort of bigger than life, really a clown. He is so warm and friendly. Well, friendly isn't even the right word. He's just kind of embracing of anybody he meets. Um, some of the others are a little more kind of in their own world. But I think that there's there's as many different personalities as there are people, even in that world, for sure. You see Stevie Wonder on award shows and so forth, and he's smiling and looks like he's just loving life, and that's really how he is behind the scenes. He is just loving life. I mean, he is having as much fun as you are listening to him. <laughs> he really is. I mean, that's why he shows up so many places, just to jam and sing and play. It's because... Yeah, he doesn't need to. He's Stevie Wonder, but that's what he does. That's what he loves to do. That must rub off on the band and on the audience. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you can take any of that with you, it's a, it's a wonderful thing.
One of the really interesting things you did in the, the past five or six years was travel to Cuba yeah. in 2002 to go to, to study the traditional Cuban flute. Yes. Which um, would make sense given the, the type of music you're playing a lot of. Well, tell me about that experience. Oh, my goodness. That was uh, probably the most amazing trip of my lifetime um, in a lot of ways. Uh, musically, first of all, the the level of musicianship in Cuba is, is pretty incredible. Um, there's, uh, there's a lot of problems with communism, but one of the good things about it is that you show any talent for the arts, they stick you in the conservatory from the time you're about eight until you're 18, and you're just studying with the masters and practicing day and night. I mean, we heard some groups in Cuba at the local <coughs> restaurants that would blow your mind. They're all conservatory trained. and. Uh, I studied with uh, Lele, he's the flute player with Los Van Van, was our, our flute teacher, and I got to take a private lesson with Richard Egues, the maestro who just passed away recently. He was the uh, very famous flutist with uh, Orchestra Aragon. These guys are just masters of that style and that genre. So musically, um, the one thing the island and Castro has done is really try to keep their music and their culture intact, even though they're very influenced by world musics. The government seems to do a lot to promote the local music and uh, the culture there. And there is just some amazing music happening there. Amazing singing, dancing, and playing of music. It's all kind of integrated, as I understand it is in Africa. You know, it's just, it's a way of life. Music is not something you kind of do on the weekends. Music is part of your daily existence. Everybody dances, sings, you know, has some music playing somewhere in their life all the time. And then culturally and uh, politically, it's it's a whole other ball game. I've I've never been to a communist country, so that was interesting. There are some good things about it, and there are some really terrible things about it. I bet even just getting there was was a unique adventure. Actually, getting there in my particular circumstance was pretty easy because I went on a, a program where you could legally go and study. If you're an artist or musician, you, you could at the time, it's more difficult now, but you could go and legally study the art or culture or music there. And so we flew direct from Los Angeles to Havana, five hours. <laughs> so just like going to Florida, he just went to Havana. That's exactly, and they didn't even stamp our passports. You know, they, uh, And the, the Cuban people were great. They were really very welcoming and very warm people. And they don't, you know, the poverty there is is pretty incredible, and they don't have much, but they sure have a lot in a lot of other areas of their lives. They're very rich. It's a very rich culture. The music is amazing. I suppose we don't really think much about Cuban music being a separate style like Brazilian music or Celtic music, yeah. but I, I'm sure Cuban music has its own tradition and its own unique rhythmic and harmonic structure sure does and there's there's a lot you know there's a lot within that it's not just cuban music i mean it's, that would be like saying ice to an eskimo there's a lot of different styles of cuban music and the style i was studying was just charanga which is an earlier style predominantly uh, uh percussion and violins and the flute was the lead instrument so it's a very specific style and with uh, most of the styles of music over there its primary purpose was for dancing, you know? So everything we were doing, the teachers would say, yeah, that's cool, but remember, you're playing for dancing. <laughs> you 
you know so that's that takes a, an effect on how you would even uh, approach playing a melody or your improvisations people are dancing to it so you think about it differently and um you know a lot of the music that developed into salsa through new york and miami and all that are coming out of cuban roots which you know going a step back further coming from african roots combining with the european um, music and instruments so it's pretty rhythmically fascinating music and the dancing is incredible and uh, like I said the level of musicianship over there is, is pretty amazing listening to you talk about it I can see it's clearly something you're interested in that you have a passion for do you find as you're learning more about the different parts of music that you're into you're getting deeper in it and you want to learn more and you yeah. keep getting deeper and it's like this never-ending discovery that's exactly what it is I think that's what fascinates all musicians is the the more you learn the more you learn that there is to learn and the more you become interested in you know when I was starting to play jazz there were kind of two kinds of instrumental music basically in your real book it would say swing or Latin <laughs> and then you come to realize Latin music and you know there are all these subdivisions of that there's Brazilian there's free Cuban and then you get into that and there's all kinds of subdivisions of that so it's uh yeah the deeper you get in the deeper you realize it is it's just like swimming out to sea you know once you leave the shore it only gets deeper and deeper a number of the recording projects you've done have been with what it appears to be very traditional Brazilian musicians mm -hmm. and and people that grew up playing this style, do you find you're really learning a lot from playing with these people? Oh, absolutely. Not only do you learn about um, kind of the way that they breathe the music, the way that they feel the music, um, they all have their own kind of swing. You know, as as you're learning jazz, you learn that the eighth notes aren't bop, 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 but they got this da, 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 da. Well, it's the same to all these other styles of music. Cuban music has its own swing. Um, Brazilian music certainly has its own swing and not that you can't get it from not being from there but it helps to have a lot of those people that grew up with it around it's like sometimes you hear musicians from another country trying to play swing jazz type of swing from this country and there's something not quite there you know because they have their interpretation of what it is but the more that they're exposed to people that grew up with it and feel it you have a different attitude about it, just the way that you place your notes, the way that you make your phrases. And not only that, you, you, you learn the stuff that they listen to and they turn you on to stuff to listen to that you may not discover otherwise. So it's great. Is this once you're in the network of these people and playing within this style, do you find that you're doing more and more playing with the people that they're playing with yeah, and, and your reach is going out further and further, and you're getting called for more and more gigs. Yeah, as you play with more and more of them. Absolutely, that's how it works. You know, the network kind of reaches out, and that's the beautiful thing about being in a big city like Los Angeles. You know, there's deep pools of great musicians in, in many genres. Have you found that this is somewhat of an un unintended consequence, or did you set out saying, you know what, I think there can be a niche for me playing? Cuban, Brazilian music, and I'm going to go out and I'm going to make that. I'm going to own no, that niche. God, not at all. I mean, it was very organic. Um, it just sort of happened because I was following the stuff that interested me and the stuff I felt passionate about. Um, much like my association with Yamaha, it's just it was very organic. Before I ever talked to you guys about uh, 
endorsing your instruments. I already owned, played, and bought all my own Yamaha horns. So it's just it just sort of happened by following what I was doing by my own instincts anyway. I guess it's like what they say you you know if you do the do the work and if you're a good person and do the right things the the work will happen. I think know? so too. I think if you're following stuff you're passionate about, you're you're going to put a lot of time and energy into it and, and consequently get better at it and hopefully uh, you know develop all the time and it's just coming out of a natural passion and you're following that and building on that. One look at your saxophone case would show flags from all over the world. You've you've uh, been more than a few places. Do you have any favorites of your travels? Uh, Cuba was pretty high on my list. Um, I would have to say after that, yeah, Italy is very high on my list. I love Why? It. Oh, Italy. Italy is a very uh, it's a very sensual place. It kind of attacks all your senses. First of all, I love to eat. And if you love to eat good food or drink good wine or preferably both, there's no better place than Italy. I mean, they put, they put the love into every meal that, uh, that comes out when you taste it. You could go in the funkiest looking little place and just have a great meal. I don't think I ever had a bad meal in Italy. And uh, not only that, the people are so warm and uh, passionate and the, the language is beautiful. There's beautiful art everywhere. Yeah, there's a lot to love about Italy. Probably can't see this, but you're smiling oh. <laughs> as you talk about it. Yeah. Must have been some, some great experiences. I'm, I'm sure the, the market for music globally and the different styles, uh, it's as, as big a world for playing music today as ever. Yeah, it, it certainly is. And now with travel and with the internet and the World Wide Web, you're connected to a lot of places that you didn't have access to, you know, even five, ten years ago. So more people can discover what you do, you can discover what they do, you can communicate pretty easily. And uh, it's kind of amazing. It's made the world a smaller place. But the one thing I've discovered which is really cool is there are just great musicians no matter where you go. You're going to run into some really great musicians in the most podunk little town you'd never think. It's just that there may only be half a dozen of them. You know, it's not like some of the bigger cities here in New York or Chicago or Nashville where there's just layer after layer of amazing players. You sound like you have a really healthy perspective in talking about music and that you're very open and appreciate what everybody has to offer musically and you know that playing with great musicians and something it seems like really inspires you absolutely absolutely and it fortunately it happens quite often just even here because even though i'm a native um, 
pale alien, as I like to call myself, from Los Angeles. Um, and I've lived here basically my whole life. I'm constantly meeting another great player who's also lived there, uh, lived here, excuse me, their whole life that I've never met before. It's like, how come I haven't heard about you? How can I haven't played with you? And it's, it's this constant source of meeting great people and uh, you know, getting to share music together. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. I feel lucky and fortunate to do that. I used to think that the music business was a who you know business, but actually the world is a who you know world. It absolutely is, yeah. I mean, it's, it's uh, and especially in a business like this, it's, it's staying connected with people, you know. There are people that I play with sometimes that I know, but I haven't, our paths haven't crossed in 10 or 20 years. And if they, ha they need a saxophone player for their session next Friday and I have to run into them on a previous gig or out hearing music, I might pop in their minds sooner than the last guy. And it's the same for me, you know. It's, it's really important to stay connected to the people. And music is perhaps the only place where you could do that, not see somebody for 10 years, sit down to them, next to them on a gig, and it's like you played with them last night. Yeah, I mean, it's just a, it's that another language. You sit down, you, you find your common ground, and you begin communication from there. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. You've played Yamaha saxophones now for, I think, over 15 years. Yeah, over you, that, for sure. You're a horn and original 80, 875 custom tenor. That's right. Silver one. That's right. Looking a little more gray than silver these days. This is true. But I, I'm <laughs> guessing since you're still playing your original Yamaha you bought, you're probably not a gear guy into the latest and greatest. And Yeah, I am so not a gear guy. I am uh, my mode of operation is find something that works great and just let it do its thing and that's kind of the way that I I I run my bands or if I'm producing stuff in the studio I find people that do stuff the best way that I I would like to see it done and then I let them do their thing I'm the same way with my gear give me something that sounds great plays great works great is a workhorse that I don't have to mess with then I can focus more of my attention on making music. And that's why I, I use Yamaha horns. They're totally dependable. You know, they, they'll go forever, like the Everetti Rabbit. Um, that's why I use Rico Reed, stuff that I can just play straight out of the, the box, stuff that I know if I put in my hands, it's going to do what it needs to do. I'm guessing back in the early days when you first started playing Yamaha, there probably weren't as many people playing Yamaha professionally as there are today. Oh yeah, I got a lot of grief. Everybody was playing uh, this horn or that horn, and they why are you playing Yamaha? You should be playing this or that. I'm like, hey, I've played this or that. And you know what? Yamaha plays better. It's more consistent, the sound is more consistent. You know, I don't have to take it to the repairman every other week. <laughs> this is a great horn. Even before I played the custom, I played the 62 for many years. It's probably closer to 20 some odd years that I've been playing Yamahas. And now today, half the people maybe you're playing with are playing a Yamaha saxophone and it's commonplace. Yeah, it's commonplace. You see a lot more uh, people playing the Yamahas because they get it, you know. They're tired of playing with stuff that's inconsistent. They want, um, you know, I, I assume it's the same reasons I do. The sound is great, the scale is great, and it's just going to be there. You have more time and energy to focus on making music and messing with your gear. I mean, some guys like to do that. I'm just not one of them. I don't, 
like to file my reads. I want them to play out of the box. I don't want to have to dip them in love potion number nine. You know, I don't want to have to be constantly turning adjustment screws on my saxophone. I want to just play. <laughs> I got other things I'd rather spend my time doing. Like sitting in traffic. Yeah, <laughs> you know, the, which is the bad necessity when you live in L.A. You got to do that. But, but such is life here. Till my helicopter's out of the shop anyway. Yeah. So you're spending all your money on helicopters and tolls rather than uh, new saxophones. <laughs> That's right. Although at some point, I mean, if you've had that horn, you know, 15 plus years, at some point we're going to need to look at a, you know, a new horn. Well, why? I mean, although... You say backup horn. Yeah, actually, I played uh, your new tenors at the NAMM show and I was quite impressed. And I was just asking Jeff, when are those going to be available? Uh, you played the, the EX tenor, I think, yeah. NAMM, didn't you? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. They're fabulous. So yeah, Yamaha, that's the other thing is, is you guys keep improving just when you think uh, that you've made the best horn available. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'll be very interested to play more of those when they become available. You mentioned a little earlier some of the relationships you have, Yamaha and, and Rico. As a musician today, making your living playing music, are those relationships important? Oh, they're totally important, and uh, for me, uh, my relationships have come out of, like I mentioned earlier, more organic places. They're more like making a connection with, with the companies that I was already using their stuff to begin with, with Rico Reeds, which I played for many, many years, Yamaha Horns, I played for many, many years before we ever had a relationship. And finally, you guys were kind enough to say, well, hey, you're playing our horns anyway. <laughs> At the NAMM show in January, you gave me a couple of your new, latest CDs. Mm-hmm couple uh, new projects, again, Brazilian-themed. Tell me about your most recent projects. Uh, let's see. The, the Brazilian one was called Bossa Nova Brazil. Dirk Framouth was the producer on that, and he just wanted to kind of recreate the classic uh, Brazilian Bossa Nova sound of like the early 60s and just redo some of those tunes using contemporary musicians and some musicians that were actually around during that era. So. Actually, most of the musicians that played on that were primarily Brazilian. I, I was one of the few Americans that they chose to use, so I was kind of honored to be included in that. We just did a lot of the classic Jobim stuff. We did some Baden-Powell tunes, and, uh, and it was really fun to do. Um, they really were going for a more of a classic, less slick sound, and he just he's one of those guys in the studio. He just lets you do your things. I love working with producers like that. They're not trying to nitpick every note. They already hired you because they like what you do. Now they let you do what you do. So it was really, really cool. It's uh, available at a Target near you. It's out on the Target stores label. Oh, nice. Yeah. nice. Life, Lifescapes, Lifescapes Records. Any of your five or six different solo projects you've got out that are particularly notable, you feel? That's a question I get often. Um, they're all special in different ways. I always tell people it's like children. You know, it's hard to pick a favorite because you like this one for that reason or this one for that reason. They're all kind of different. I think what I've learned making my own records is to try to focus um, the record so it has some kind of vibe that runs throughout it that's kind of unbroken. And uh, I've gotten better at that through the years. Those are my favorite kinds of records. They have this sort of this flow to them that every piece of music feels like it fits and it's kind of a continuation. I'm not so crazy about the fact that a lot of people today are, are uh, just listening to one song at a time. 
you know, I, I grew up in the era of listening to the whole album as a kind of a, a continuous piece of thread, one one piece of art that stands on its own from beginning to end. But I think it's sadly um, a lot of people aren't coming up with that mentality these days. They're just looking for that one song they like. It's a little easier today to consume one song at Absolutely. a time with iTunes and Absolutely. That's maybe for better and for worse. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, the beautiful part about that is that if you've got, as a consumer, if there's just one song you like, you don't have to get the whole record. But I think people are missing out on that experience of, uh, you know, kind of seeing an artist's whole vision. Like a Stevie Wonder album that just flows seamlessly, you know, from one song to the next. Where one song ends and you already know the notes of the next song are coming. Yeah. I think that's a special thing that some folks are going to miss. Apple sounds so sweet, they will even make them little hard. Skip a beat. I can heal the sick, raise the dead, and make the little girls talk out of their head. I'm the one. Mama, I'm the one. I'm the one, I'm the one. The one they call a seven son. Everybody's talking about the seven son. What's on your iPod? What are you listening to today? Oh, my iPod is pretty diverse. Um, uh, I got a lot of... Uh, a, a Brazilian, uh, one of my favorite Brazilian composers, Ginga. I got a lot of his music on there. Uh, a Brazilian singer named Monica Salmaso, who I really like. I uh, got a lot of her stuff on there. I've been going back in uh, Fania, which is the great... Um, label which uh, produced a lot of the salsa stuff in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. They're reissuing a bunch of their old Eddie Palmieri and Celia Cruz and, and uh, Johnny Pacheco stuff. So I've been getting a lot of their old uh, remastered Fania stuff. Oh, what else? I like uh, Tom Waits' new album. There's some very interesting stuff on that. Um, Kirk Whalem, always a saxophonist I enjoy listening to. So you do listen to contemporary saxophonists as well? Oh, yeah. 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 I listen to contemporary. I listen to uh, all the uh, greats going way, way back. I got Lester Young on there, Ben Webster, Stan Getz, Lockjaw Davis, Cannibal Adderley, Charlie Parker, John Coltrane, Michael Brecker. There's, there's a pretty wide gamut of stuff. The great thing about music today, you can have that whole gamut of everything if you feel like it's listening to the old stuff, you can do that now. It's totally great. And I'm I'm kinda new to iPod. I only got one less than a year ago, but you know, I was traveling a lot and in the old days, the not so old days, you brought your C D Walkman and you bought some headphones and you brought, you know, a wallet full of CDs and now you just have this little iPod and you can be walking alongside a river in yeah, Portugal and say, hmm, I feel like hearing Introduction in Allegro by Ravel. Here it is. 
<laughs> you had to load up your whole wallet with the, the 12 CDs that you wanted to take to this trip. Yeah, 12. And if I could do it in 36, I was doing good because my taste, like I said, is pretty eclectic. So to have all that at your fingertips is, is pretty darn cool. Any favorite recordings that you draw back and say, man, this is one of my top three? Oh, gosh, that could change from day to day. I was just uh, listening to Ballads by John Coltrane. It's a, what a beautiful record. Um, there's a record, oh, what's it called? Oh, called Charlie Hayden record. America, it's America Beautiful or something. It's with Mike Brecker and uh, Brad Muldow and Brian Blade a few years back. Just a gorgeous record. Um, Rosa Passos, another Brazilian artist I love. Her record, Amorosa, it's gorgeous. I don't know, it's, it's always different. Changes from day to day. It changes from day to day depending on my mood or how I want to change my mood. What do you order when you go to Starbucks? <laughs> uh, the Ray Charles to go. Um, let's see, Starbucks. Uh, I guess I'm a low-tech guy. I don't get the triple frappuccino with a strawberry swirl. Um, and You're pretty low-maintenance. I'm guessing it's coffee yeah. and black. <laughs> I actually, this coffee was cream, uh, but you were close. Yeah, I get the plain uh, house drip with, with cream, and I'm a happy guy. And they have great oatmeal cookies. I like their oatmeal cookies a lot. I'm guessing the amount of time you spend on the road, you know where every Starbucks is within a 50-mile radius of your house. <laughs> you don't have to look too hard in most places. Yeah. They're pretty much in the same spot everywhere yeah, you go. You they're can, pretty much everywhere. You Although, you know, if I, if I can find a little mom-and-pop place, you know, a lot of times I, I really like to support those places, and I, I like hanging out in them. They usually have really cool art and sometimes free internet. <laughs> The musician of 2007, where can I get free internet? Hey, you know, your priorities change. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. How can people who want to learn more about you, learn more about your music, your upcoming gigs, where can they go to find that? I'm so glad that you asked that. Um, they can actually go to my website, which is Robert Kyle, spelled K-Y-L-E dot com, or uh, that's the best place to find out information and links to... Uh, you know, other places you can purchase music, you can listen to music on the website, find out where I'm performing, what I'm up to. Um, also at iTunes, all my uh, music is available at iTunes or most of the digital download places. You can also buy CDs through your website. Yeah, I'm actually, I've turn, turned over all my marketing to CD Baby. They're so wonderful at it now that I let them handle all of my sales. So yeah, I have uh, uh, all seven CDs that I have out available at my website to listen to. And one click, you can link to CD Baby and purchase them. So, thanks for asking. <laughs> well, this is 2007, this is how the world works. You're, hey, it really is, yeah. it's, you know. This it's is how the artist eats, you know, that's, that's right. your recorded music is part of your career. It sure is, so thank you all for supporting that. Totally appreciate that. Before we kind of wrap it up, anything else that you wanna make sure we cover? I guess I just want to let people know that I'm grateful to Yamaha Horns and to Rico Reeds and all my other endorsers for your uh, support over the years. And, uh, you know, I use your products not because you support me, because uh, they're great products and I love them and they totally work for me. But I do appreciate the support.
in addition to that. And I uh, sure appreciate all of you that listen and take the time to uh, come out to live events or uh, purchase and listen to uh, to my music that's out there. Because without y'all, we'd be we'd be playing into the ether. So thanks for listening. Thanks, Rob, for taking the time to come down and see us here at Yamaha. And uh, appreciate your support of the gear. And uh, thank you, sound just great on it. And uh, you know, really appreciate you telling your story here. My pleasure, Kurt. Thank you.